Hey, you ready? Hey, grab that right there. <laughs> Are you ready? Hey. Is you ready? Ready? You say you ready? Oh. Whole squad ready? Ready? Is you ready? Huh? Are you ready? Ready? Is you ready? Whole squad ready? We came here to see Jet. What you got? Hey, y'all. This is a the first iteration of the newly minted Quack Back Block Pot Show. Uh, featuring Joseph Young of Addicted of Quack, uh, that's me, and Mr. Tom Gillis, my co-host and producer of the show. Hi, Joseph. Hi, how are you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, nice dose of liquid sunshine here this afternoon, um, but I, I think I'll be okay. Okay, and um, yeah, so the, we Oregon just had a recent game this past weekend. It, it didn't work out too well. For us Duck fans, and um, it worked out pretty well for Auburn fans. But what do you, what did you think of the game? Your impressions of the game? Um, as much as I didn't like the outcome, um, I did come away impressed and encouraged um, about some of the things that I saw. Um, we'll probably get into that a little bit later. But overall, I uh, I I enjoyed watching the game. Um, uh, and I look forward to seeing what we can do uh, to build on uh, the progress we made. So let's uh, get get ourselves into the uh, the last play call on fourth down. What did you think of it? Uh, that seems to be a, a hotly pointed, a highly contested point uh, around around these parts. Um, are you talking about the like the very last play of the game? I was talking about the the last. The play call that Arreo called for the in the pistol formation on that essentially decided the game. <laughs> I didn't really have a problem with the play call. I was disappointed that we couldn't get our personnel in, and um, uh, the play call was was safe and pretty much by the book. Um, plays similar to that had worked earlier in the game, and I think we're just going back to what we we're expecting to work and it just didn't a few guys didn't execute that precision wasn't there yeah i saw the i saw a picture of the on twitter of the um all 22 footage and it looked like the auburn defense knew, knew what was coming so i figured if uh tyler shuck who came in for that one last play for herbert who got injured i think he had a a clear running room for at least 15 yards or so if you pull it on the option. Right. And that was, that's part of the, uh, the poor execution I was talking about. Cause that was like, like he had the it, part of the option, the run option is the option to run and he just didn't do it. Um, as a, as his, his first start of the game, I felt like it was nerves kicking in and didn't want to, to screw anything up or injure himself, but he probably could have ran like six, eight, maybe 10 yards. Yeah, that whole sequence was funny from the start because I didn't realize that, you know, I'm so used to watching NFL rules where the guy can call timeout and the guy can come back in where in college, whereas you can't do that. I think that was confusing for everybody. Yeah. When the whole sequence went down. Everyone, uh, in the bar that I was watching it at just exploded when they, they announced that he wouldn't be able to come back in. I'm pretty sure that if you would have asked a hundred people, 
if they knew what that rule was, a hundred people would have said, yeah, you could, you know, you can take a timeout and you, you can substitute the injured player back in. Yeah, most criticism for most people is that uh, Shuck should have went under center and tried to QB sneak, but I felt that that wouldn't work. That wouldn't have worked out regardless, because Auburn was so ready for the run, regardless of what play was called. What are your thoughts on that? I, th- I feel like our success mostly came uh, with the quick passes. Um, it didn't give Auburn's defensive line uh, a chance to um, to engage, and didn't give them a chance to get into the backfield because of just how fast the ball was getting out, or um, we're doing an excellent job of, of blocking said defensive line. And I don't know I didn't feel like we had very much success running the ball up the middle, regardless of who it was. Um, we had a few plays that I feel like we just got lucky or um, uh, it was well-schemed, but like in that moment, I don't think that a running up the middle would have done hardly anything. Yeah, I agree. It's just... Some of the screens that Rio called were, were brilliantly designed and it, it gained a ton of yards, especially on the beginning part of the drive, that screen to red, I think it was, gained yeah. at least 20 yards or so. And the defense didn't know what was coming, but he, he called a lot more screens in this game than all of last year that I, I felt like. Um, yeah, that's true. And part of that's probably due to the fact that they had five receivers out for the game with injury trying to scheme ways to get just establish some sort of passing game and not allowing us to get uh, bogged down in a run game yeah and the Auburn defensive line I feel like it might be the best one they play all year uh, it's probably one of the best in the nation with their uh, the experience they have coming back um, I think that all uh, all three of those guys up front were in the, the top of their five, maybe top 10 in their position in their recruiting class. And just watching them perform, watching the athleticism that Auburn has on the line reminded me a lot of watching that vaunted Clemson defensive line last year with Dexter and uh, Cleland and uh, who was the other guy? Christian Wilkins. Yes, Christian Wilkins. I've watched um, watching those guys. It's like a, like if, if the, Clemson line was an A plus. The uh, the Auburn line is like an A minus. They're they're so fast and so big and so athletic. Just from, yeah. from from right to left, I think it's the best defensive line in the in the nation right now. Yeah, it's uh Derek Brown should have went pro last year and he would have got drafted really high. Yeah, and then uh, Nick, on all the reports I read, <laughs> Nick Coe is uh, probably the the second fastest defensive tackle in the uh in the nation but second only to uh the guy from alabama i think it's Raekwon, Raekwon davis Raekwon yeah, Raekwon. yeah 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 i was surprised he didn't i, I was surprised he didn't go pro either because he was highly rated yeah um i mean shoot alabama could churn 11 players on defense if you let him into the into the pros yeah <laughs> they would all turn into washington redskins the base of the way <laughs> they're drafting <laughs> yeah the, those screen passes that were, were dialed up were just to keep the ball away from uh, from the middle of the line. Yeah, their linebackers were, were not that good after watching that game again. They really relied heavily on trying to pressure 
Herbert into making a bad decision, which yeah, he's done a couple of, of times. But I think he did he, he did a good job of of keeping his his cool most of the time, and the offensive line was just far exceed my exceeded my expectations. Yeah, the biggest worry I had was for the right guard spot because that was undecided going to literally last minutes before the game started. So that was my biggest concern because Auburn, Auburn was targeting that position heavily throughout the game. And Dallas Olmerich didn't perform as well. And Stephen Jones played pretty well, given that he, he didn't play guard. He was a tackle. So I'm pleased with Stephen Jones' performance. Yeah, I think he did a good job of coming in and yeah. and uh, cleaning things up, not making any egregious mistakes. Yeah, the run blocking went pretty well as well in the first half. <laughs> I was also fairly impressed with uh, Auburn's offensive line. I mean, obviously, as a, a SEC um, team, their offensive line is going to be pretty stout regardless. But there was that uh, Owango. Prince Owongo? Yeah, Prince, the offensive tackle, he held up. He was very improved from last season. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Auburn's offensive line wasn't um, as highly rated coming into this year because of their struggles last year. But they, the interior of the line was where Oregon had the, the most success, I think, because Austin Fowlu had a ton of success penetrating into the backfield against their guards. Yeah, there was one play where follow you just almost timed the snap count in the red zone and just tackled the guy for loss, where I think they had to kick a field goal in the first half. All, those type of plays will, will definitely help in the future, holding guys to three instead of seven. That was one of the things I admittedly didn't really pay attention to is was our defensive line because I just knew that we would that wouldn't be a problem for us. So what did you think of the various formations that Andy Avalos put out there during the first game? Um, uh, I liked the formations. Um, there wasn't anything really surprising to me. There were there was a lot of like three three five. There was some uh, there's some four three. There was some uh, some forty six. Um, I felt like they were all um, appropriately utilized. I just think that. When you have when you try to roll out that much variety in the first game, um, you lose a lot of of specification in your position, um, and so uh, as teams that are are used to uh, just maintaining a three four or a four three with some variance versus the breadth of packages defensively, it seems like everybody was like, okay, this is what I do. And then they went out and and did it, but were too focused on what the play was rather than actually performing as like a decent cornerback, outside linebacker, what have you. I think that you know, given given time, that concept will uh, will polish itself. But overall, I was I didn't come away impressed or disappointed. Yeah, I was expecting like a lot of variations, given what I've read and studied of Avalos, but. Once you see it in person, it's quite shocking given uh, Jim Levitt's uh, tendency to stay within one formation compared to compared to Avalos. It was very, very shocking to see. I'd be, I'm interested to see how or if they pare it down for Nevada um, or what they're they're trying to do 
coming up in this next game. <clears throat> but just to, to watch this develop, this evolve into, um, into a, a defensive form is going to be interesting. Yeah, one of the things I noticed when I watched the game again, it was, uh, I think it was Javon Holland and uh, Demar- De Lenoir just switching between being in the box more and Thomas Graham being the outside corner more than anything. That was very surprising. Uh, I feel like like Lenore works the best on the outside. Yeah. Um, and Graham should have been the one that was bounced in uh, back and forth. Yeah, that was kind of surprising, but it's uh, they mostly played off, but they did press a couple of times here and there, but it's I guess they were respecting the Auburn's receivers a lot more than they should have. Mm-hmm. So overall, it was a pretty good game plan, I think. It's just the the last the last several minutes of the game were very um, chaotic, I'll say, and the clock management issues stem from last year. And I think they should hire an analyst of some sort or designate a coach to go up to Chris Wall and say, hey, this is what's going on. This is what we need to do or, you know, or something like that to the effect. So what do you think about that? Uh, I think you're right. I don't want you to be right, but you're <laughs> right. I think yeah. that, that that should be, I don't know, a general qualification to be a head coach or coordinator is to have uh, moderate to decent clock management skills. Yeah, it's, it's like seeing another Andy Reid out there. It was very, very disturbing, I think. <laughs> Yeah, some of the plays that, or some of the the decisions that were made, like starting the game, calling a timeout before the first play, silly things like that. Not having somebody on the sideline to know the rule about substituting players. To say, hey, coach, don't call timeout just to bring him back in because you can't do that. Having just a a rules specialist, like a a grad assistant or something on the, the sideline that is just there to know the rules. Yeah. Well, it's better than Florida State. They didn't have any kind of defensive coaches in the booth, and they got run over by Florida State. (laughs) Run over 108 plays. Yeah. Boise State ran. Yeah, you would think a team from Florida would be a, a team from Boise State in that kind of humidity in that in, in the afternoon, but apparently they didn't hydrate enough, according to Mr. Willie. That's like the opposite of what was supposed to happen. Florida yeah. State is supposed to be used to it. Boise State comes down and gets socked. Man, held FSU to 68 yards in the second half. Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate, but I don't think uh, uh, Mr. Taggart's tenure at, in Tallahassee will last too much longer. It's hard think. for me to root for him, I'll be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Most Oregon fans can't root for him, given what his situation, the way he left there. and I'm not usually one to hold a grudge, but there is something to be said about the way he left. I don't think he'll be welcome back for any uh, reunions anytime soon, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, probably not. It'll be interesting if, uh, if we end up drawing Florida State in some sort of bowl game. Yeah, speaking of the bowl games... Um, there was an ESPN projection out, I think, earlier this week saying that Oregon would go to the Holiday Bowl 
play Michigan State again, and I'm completely terrified of Michigan State, given what they did to Tulsa. And last year's bowl game wasn't the best for Oregon. Really? They did hold Tulsa to what was like negative 70-something rushing yards, um, which you're right, is is pretty terrifying. But they their offense was not good. It's like they took uh, their last year's offense and worked on the things that didn't work and forgot about the things that did. And then they just said, okay, this is how we're going to run. This is what we're going to run. And <laughs> I'm sure that if we were against a team that were a little bit better than Tulsa, it wouldn't have been uh, wouldn't yeah. have really well. Plus they, they kind of do this thing every year, the last couple of years where they take all their coordinators and, they shuffle them up. It's almost like they they put everyone's name on a boggle cube and then they shake it up and then where they fall, okay, the tight ends coach is now the defensive coordinator and the offensive line coach is now the linebackers coach and linebackers coach is now the running backs coach and the offensive coordinator is now the special teams coordinator. And it's it's uh it's hard to keep consistency there. And I don't know if uh, I don't know if, if they'll be that much of a threat i don't i don't see them going bowling at least this year yeah that the big 10 is extremely loaded this year compared to last year and michigan is they need to win out because <laughs> if they can't beat ohio state i think Harwell is in trouble <laughs> that's that's true that's uh when they get to those big name programs you can go you can go 10 and 2 every year but if you don't beat your rival you're you you get shown the door i mean that's what happened with uh a couple of coaches in the sec yeah <laughs> the uh the head coach at nebraska i think he went like eight and four for three straight years and they fired him i think it was bo Pelini. yeah that's what it was yeah uh his his uh parody twitter account is very funny the folk <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> um, he went corporate on us, so I I think he you know toned it down a little bit. But back in the day, it was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, so what uh you know last week was technically you know week one, you know week zero was a couple weeks before that, but that's we're not counting week zero. But out of the week one games, what stood out to you the most? Stood out to me the most. Yeah. Um, aside from the Oregon game, see, probably, uh, Tennessee, that was huge. Yeah. Um, by uh, a team that really had, uh, for all intents and purposes, no real reason to expect to have such an outcome. Um, and from what I understand <clears throat> there's a uh, there's a guy who rented a uh, a moving truck and put a TV on the side of it and has just been driving around town playing that Tennessee game on the side <laughs> of the truck driving around Atlanta. Yeah, I think it was a I think it was a Tennessee fan that caught wind of it first. So it was hilarious. Yeah. Um but yeah, that does not bode well for uh, for Jeremy Pruitt. Um, he's probably going to end up 
uh, going one and seven and getting fired. Fired to imagine. Yeah, the AD has already come out and says, "Oh, I'm gonna keep a close eye on the program." I'm like, already? <laughs> and so, yeah, Georgia State, thirty-eight to thirty for Tennessee. My biggest um, thing was, uh, <laughs> no, go ahead. Oh, um, and then after that, just the uh, the BSU comeback um, was uh, as uh, a guy who was born and raised in Idaho. Um, I'm actually a, a Idaho Vandals fan, not a Boise State fan, but there's still yeah. a small part of my heart that really enjoyed watching uh, watching that score um, after halftime. They came back from what was an uh, 18 point deficit at half. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it was 18 points. Um, and then just blew the doors off of Florida State. And Hank Bachmeyer is going to be something cool and fun and exciting to watch. I agree. The way he took some of those hits in the first half, it was I, I wouldn't think he was getting up and getting up from any of them because they were hidden. Yeah, and it's almost like Boise State was. Uh, said you know you can you can hit us all you want or you can try you're just going to keep on getting back up and they ran the ball and ran the ball and ran the ball and then eventually it got established and then they started throwing the ball and that was pretty much it yeah Bachmeyer I'd... threw 51 times for 407 man give that kid a juice box yeah <laughs> and some lemon slices <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's uh yeah, I watched some of the Oregon State Oklahoma State game last. Well, I think it was Friday night. All the days ran together during the holiday weekend. Yeah, yeah. It's I don't. I didn't think Oregon State would have would have hung around for so long, but given it was a home game for them and Oklahoma State's defense, it wasn't the best in the world, like most big Big Twelve defenses are. But. Right. Ultimately, the Cowboys pulled away. I, yeah. <laughs> From all the Beaver fans that I've been talking to, they said that it wasn't the outcome they wanted, but they were glad with the, what they saw. Kind of like like uh, Ducks fans, um, yeah. where they're like, you know what? We came out. We they scored thirty six points. Um, I think uh, I I think that matches their total from last year. I think so because that's. Uh, I joke, yeah. but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was uh, the the fun fact for me about this game was that uh, halftime, uh, the, the second half of the game was delayed. Um, did you hear about this? Yeah, the Oklahoma State got stuck in the elevator. The coaches got stuck in the elevator and they couldn't get him out, so yeah. they had to delay the game. I'm wondering, did they all go in like in mass and they all got stuck, <laughs> or? <laughs> I don't. I don't know the details. I actually, I think it's it was actually uh, just Oregon State's way of of getting into their head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With them, anything anything little helps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The biggest injury in the Pac-12, I think, was JT Daniels going down with the ACL for USC. I think that's going to hurt their chances this year. And some the true freshman guy they have. Uh, Slovis, he didn't play well. Granted, he just got pulled, put into action that night. So I don't know how they'll fare against Stanford this week. Yeah. Um, as far as the skill set goes, I actually really like, I really like the, the the new guy. 
Um, I think that he has, he's got a really strong arm and he's got some pretty good accuracy. I think most of the stuff that he has is just being familiar with the system and uh, a little bit of confidence and good decision-making. But I think once he gets on board, he'll, uh, he'll, be, he'll really be something. But I think as far as uh, injuries go, one of my biggest ones uh, as far as detrimental to the program, because USC has weapons, they have a good defense and they have, have uh, um, good guys in the line. And so uh, losing a quarterback, yes, is huge, but they, the next guy up isn't that, um, is, is, is like a 1A anyway. But for me, Stanford was the, the, biggest, um, the biggest injury bit team this week. They lost uh, K.J. Costello um, for a good portion of the game. And then they also lost um, their, their big tackle up front, Walker Little. Uh, yeah. And I think that that was probably the game um, when he went out. Um, I think the longest play of the Stanford-Northwestern um, game was a 28-yard punt return. So, like, that was just a pedestrian game. I watched most of it, but it was just. Yeah, and Northwestern lost, like, two of their quarters as well. So, yeah, I don't know. It was really tough to watch. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, between uh, KJ Costello and their uh, offensive line, I actually had Stanford, but now I'm not so certain. Yeah, Walker Little is projected to miss the Oregon game, so that's going to be huge. Yeah. for the Oregon pass rush. So in terms of week two, what are the some of the Pac-12 games you're looking forward to? Uh, some of the Pac-12 games I'm looking forward to? Well, obviously the um, Oregon-Nevada game. Um, I think that's just going to be a, a, a great matchup. Um, but let's, uh, I'll come back to that one in a bit. Um, the Oregon State-Hawaii game. I think has the highest projected point total of any game this week. And Hawaii is claiming they're going to come and out and play with like their hair is on fire. And if Oregon's defense, Oregon state's defense is anything like it was last week, then, you know, they're going to put up a lot of points and Hawaii's defense isn't that great either. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, that one's going to be as far as watchability goes, viewability goes, I'm more excited about, the Oregon State Hawaii game. Mm-hmm. Everything else seems pretty, pretty all hum. We have a Nebraska Colorado matchup, which, as as an old Colorado fan of the late '90s, early aughts, that's really cool to see that old uh, Big Twelve matchup, rivalry matchup game. Um, but you know, it doesn't really mean as much now as it does then, and it feels kind of contrived. And I don't think it's going to be that good of a game. Um, I think Nebraska, they're ranked. 25th now but i really have no reason to be ranked in my opinion um they did not look good at all i think again we're talking about uh, fsu coming out and pedestrian in the second half i think nebraska had less second half yardage than florida state did and i think that colorado's got a enough offensive weapons to keep them busy yeah (laughs) uh and then This guy, Chenault, he's one of the best receivers in the country, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, right up there with Jerry Judy at Alabama. And then Stanford, USC. It's going to be interesting what USC's new quarterback can do after uh, um, after a week of practice. Um, but I don't think 
that with Stanford in the shape that they're in, or any really any match for USC right now. So, um, there's that. What about you? I think the the most interesting game in the conference would be um, Washington and Cal going together late night. Given okay. Cal beat them last year, given well it was in Cal, but now it's in Washington, so I don't think. It'll be competitive, I think. So what are some other games you're keeping an eye on, such as, you know, Texas A&M at Clemson or LSU at Texas? Those are a couple of good games. What are your thoughts on those? Uh, well, I, I have uh, Texas LSU as my game of the week. I'm really excited to watch Texas reemerge from their almost decade-long slump that they were in. Um, I'm not a big Texas football fan. I'm not a Longhorns fan, but I I, de- I know that there's a, a few certain teams that um, when they're good, the entire college football landscape is better. And I think Texas is one of those. You know, Texas, yeah. Alabama, Georgia, USC, Michigan, Ohio State. When those teams are good, and preferably all at the same time, I think that college football, on the whole, is just so much better to watch. Um, I agree. I'm really excited to see um, Texas come out and just sling the ball all over the field. Uh, a few players I'm watching in this game, um, Colin Johnson. Um, he's been kind of uh, disappointing the last couple of years, uh, the big, tall receiver. He's tall, he's fast, he's got a really good skill set, but for some reason there's always some other guy that comes in behind him and overshadows him. Last year it was little Jordan Humphrey. You know, just watching him like finally get a chance to step up and own his role as the receiver in Texas is going to be really, really fun to watch. And this is going to be a great game for him to just uh, step up and say, hello, here I am. And then, of course, going against the, the LSU uh, defense, which is just – big and fast they lost white on the uh, the linebacker core but then this guy uh, uh jacob phillips just kind of yeah. steps up and says all right i'm gonna i'm your I'm, I'm the new leader of this defense and just watching him last week was, was a lot of fun mm-hmm. um yeah grant delpit uh he reminds me a lot of the honey badger back in the day um flying around the the purple and gold and then one of the guys that really impressed me that wasn't on my list um, or wasn't on my watch list beginning of the season was uh, Kristen Fulton, the cornerback. Yeah. Um, he was really good. Um, I almost want to see him a little bit more in, on, on special teams just with his, his athleticism and skill set. But, um, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm looking forward to at LSU. And the Clemson-Texas um, A&M game, I think is going to be Clemson's last chance to lose a game going into the season. I'm not sure that they're going to, but it's going to be the best offense that they're going to see at least for the rest of the regular season with uh, Texas A&M. God, I mean, you talk about wide receivers watching the, the Texas state game was, uh, was just a lot of fun just to watch. I think Texas A&M has four, maybe five wide receivers. I'll look, tall and polished and are on the same page with Kellen Mond. And I really think that uh, Texas A&M is going to give Clemson's defense a run for their money. And we're going to see a lot of, a lot of the defense exposed 
especially on the, the defensive line that had to replace, like I mentioned earlier, all those guys that got drafted this year. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence proved last week that he is mortal. I think he only threw for just over 100 yards, and his stat line wasn't that great. Yeah, Charles Etienne, I think he's a difference maker for them. Yeah, I agree. And speaking of Texas A&M, it's just uh, Kellen Mond has improved a lot. And I, I've read that I've seen him compare to uh, Colin Kaepernick coming out of Nevada. Oh, really? So, yeah, so I think given I studied a little bit of Mond from last year, I, I can see it. It's just he's improved a lot from the pocket. So A&M will give, him, will give Clemson the game, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I'm going to say Clemson wins it by uh, less than a touchdown. Yeah, I think it's going to be a repeat of last year where it was very close. So what are your thoughts on Oregon-Nevada? Do you think Nevada has a chance of covering or not covering? Because it, um, it was a 24-point spread, I believe it was. I have Oregon winning by by 18. I think schematically, Nevada doesn't really or doesn't match up well with our, our offense. And I think that people have really underestimated Nevada's defense because um, – Purdue actually has a very good defense, and Nevada ran pretty good uh, over them. Um, yeah, they have they have a couple of guys um, that can run the ball really well. Taua, <laughs> I can't pronounce it either. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, uh, one of the Sewell brothers, uh, Penny Sewell's brother, is actually um, a starter for Nevada. Yeah, he's a starting inside linebacker for them, and um, our 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 friend Hifloday has graded him not to be not to be um, shall we say good. So um, I don't know if Sue will make an impact, but I think he's a guy to keep an eye on, given the relationship he has with Mr. Penai Sewell. Yeah, um, I think uh, Nevada's offense is the air raid offense. So I think they watched the the Washington State game from last year against Oregon. I think they'll try to em- employ the same concepts uh, in the offensive on the offensive side of things, such as you know screens and uh, passes to the back outside the flats and, and things like that. Because Oregon proved that they can stop them last year, but I don't know about this year. So it's going to be an interesting chess match, I think. Uh, that's an excellent way to put it. Yeah, chess match. This is defensively. We I don't know if you remember the Arizona tenure of uh, Jeff Castile or anything, but way back in the day, in your Rich Rod days. I'm not saying it's back in the day, 20 years, but you know, fairly recently. But I think Castile was a it wasn't good, I'll say. Three, three, five defense of his. It's right. Just, I don't. I don't think he had the athletes at Arizona to run it as efficiently as he did in West Virginia. But um, I think if the offensive line imposes his will on that defense, I think they'll run away with it, so to speak. Yeah. And it's just another guy, Nevada guy, I'm keeping an eye on is their cornerback Daniel Brown. 
he uh, he came up with a game, well, basically game clinching interception where his interception led to the game winning field goal. So he might be he might be doing something Saturday night. Well, let's hope he doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> it's just given Herbert's tendency to um, only target one guy. Right. It's, it's going to be a little worrisome. And uh, speaking of Herbert, what do you think of his uh, pro prospects? Pro prospects? Um, I think, prospectively, he's, he's, he's really filled out. Um, he started out to me as kind of a, uh, a Teddy Bridgewater quarterback. He was small and athletic and, and had a good arm and made good decisions. Um, but it kind of as he's filled out, he's kind of built into um, more of a uh, more of a Marcus Mariota, where his his first instinct isn't to run, but he can if you will. His arm's gotten a little bit stronger. His but his accuracy has kind of uh, dipped down a little bit. Um, I still think that, especially uh, with the market on quarterbacks this year, um, and well, I mean, in this draft era, um, he's still probably a top five, maybe even a top two right behind Tua. Um, I'd like to see a little bit more risk in his decision-making. Mm-hmm. Really just say, uh, it did seem to me that he uh, he only really threw to to open receivers. It's not He didn't try to throw anybody open or he didn't try to throw it to the back shoulder of someone in single coverage. It was just pretty safe. I know he's going to be open. I'm going to throw the ball. Yeah, I don't know if that's coaching or just his habits or it's hard to tell really unless you're in the unless you're in the room, coaching room with him. It's just I feel like he's being too conservative. He doesn't have any he doesn't throw with anticipation, I feel like. Uh, yeah, that, that's probably a better way to put it. Those kind of throws will make you money in the program, and especially at the Combine, that's the only throws that, that they do throw. And I don't think if he keeps on doing what he's, what he's doing, it's just it's going to be a struggle for him, I think. As a, as a Ducks fan, I'm not entirely certain I want to see that quite yet, um, especially, like, going into games like like Nevada um, or Montana. But you know, come conference time, we're going to have to – he's going to have to kind of get to that next level. It's either this offense or him. I don't know who it is, which one it is, but the offense is very, um, shall I say, one-dimensional. <laughs> um. Yeah, well, again, it's it's difficult to to discern that after just one game because we didn't have, like I said, we had, don't have five of our receivers available yeah. to us. Um, to the point where I see where uh, where Lenore is is starting to take reps at, at a wide receiver for this week's game. Yeah, swapping from cornerback to wide receiver, and so that's pretty telling, I think. It's just we need Jawan Johnson to come back soon. Yes, we do. Really looking forward to, to seeing him. Yeah, the offensive line held up pretty well for the most part against Auburn's vaunted defensive line. So that gives me hope for the future. 
So do you think that Javon Holland is going to be the next big thing from this secondary this year and next year? Um, literally or figuratively? Uh, figuratively. <laughs> um, I do. Um, he's, he's filled in for Ugo Amadi very well, I think. I, I agree. Um, it, it's, it's nice to see that we have uh, another, another big guy with yeah. good hands that has some speed. Yeah. They, they need more tall guys. If they, if Cristobal wants to be, you know, Stanford North, he needs to be, he needs to get more tall guys. <laughs> yeah. So do you have anything else that you're looking forward to this weekend or any other, other thing you want to promote or any social media or anything before we wrap up um, this podcast? <laughs> not, not really. Um, my, my Twitter handle is uh, at underscore Duke Tom. Um, I don't really do a bunch of posting, but I suppose mm-hmm. we'll probably, should, should probably start doing that. And as far as anything else looking forward to this weekend, um, NFL football starts this weekend probably something that I'm, I'm looking forward to but um yeah this is kind of a kind of a quiet week too what about you uh yeah it's pretty much the same thing just it's gonna be all the all the big power programs are playing you know the smaller programs and for the most part outside a couple of games here and there so not much to look at this weekend except for the Oregon game and the NFL finally starting after what seems like an endless preseason this year. Where could people find you on social media? Um, my my personal account is Twitter account is uh, Ducking Knowles twenty four seven, and I run the uh, Addicted to Quack Twitter page. So please follow both accounts if you guys haven't already. So it's a, we like to have a good time on the Addicted to Quack, uh, Quack account for the most part. And, uh, yeah, and you guys can check out my work on addictedtoquack.com. I try to post every day, but, yeah, please be on the lookout for, for mo- more posts on that site, including mine and Hitler Days and the other great writers we have on staff. And uh, I think that wraps up our very first episode of the Quackback Block Show. All right, great. Well, here's the beginning of a beautiful friendship.